Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, August 5th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, U.S. Senator Joni Ernst splits her votes on legislation providing health care for veterans harmed by serving near burn pits. Iowa Democrats' first-in-the-nation status gets a stay of execution and a consequential and perhaps predictive vote on abortion in Kansas. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me today are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough. Good morning, Caleb. Good morning, Aaron. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. First up this week, abortion was on the ballot in Kansas, and the result was a significant victory for advocates for women's access to reproductive health care. Kansas residents voted on whether the right to abortion access should be removed from the state's constitution, and nearly 60% said no. That's a pretty resounding victory in a state that's fairly similar politically to Iowa in a lot of ways. Uh, Caleb, you wrote this week about the reactions from Iowa officials and advocacy organizations to that Kansas vote. What do they all have to say? And uh, this could be a thing that comes up on a ballot in Iowa similarly in 2024. Do they think the same thing would happen here based on what they saw in Kansas? Yeah, so as you might expect, abortion rights activists were pretty happy to see the results from Kansas on Tuesday. Uh, they said it's good evidence that, you know, even in the post-Roe era, abortion rights are still relatively relatively popular, um, you know, even in states, um, you know, conservative states in the Midwest. Um, Kansas and Iowa, you can't draw a one-to-one comparison, but they are, as you said, Aaron, pretty similar. Um, in the 2020 election, Kansas went 56% for Trump and Iowa went 53 so, you know, in some ways more conservative. Um, so, and then Iowa voters, yes, might have to, uh, or might see this on the ballot um, in the next couple of years. So uh, the legislature passed through a uh, amendment proposal last year that would um, do a similar thing, uh, remove abortion protections from the constitution or solidify that there are no abortion protections in the constitution. Um, so if they pass that again um, next year or the following year, it will um, show up on the ballot. And I think, I mean, I think all these, uh, everyone that I talked to was pretty um, confident, you know, that, that it's going to, that that would not pass in Iowa in a similar way to Kansas. I mean, one um, activist, April Clark, who sits on the uh, Iowa Abortion Access Fund board, said she hopes that it goes to a vote so that it shows, you know, um, that, you know, there's a similar sentiment here um, against these kind of uh, removing these rights. So, um no, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to say that quote really stuck out to me. That was an interesting one. And, and first of all, if you haven't checked out Caleb's story, he did a good job of uh, um, summarizing the whole thing and, and had some interesting quotes. Uh, and that was one of them. Feels a, a little dangerous, maybe a little uh, roll of the dicey. Right. <laughs> like, can be yeah. what you wish for. But I mean, I get where she's coming from. She feels confident that the public sentiment and we're, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, here in a second. So I get it, but it also feels like, yeah, you might want to be careful and not want to roll that dice. Um, the other one that I wanted to ask you about, Caleb, and and I, so tell me if you didn't see the same thing, because I don't want to read too much into it, but I thought that the response from the House Republican spokesperson, uh, Melissa, and I, I apologize to Melissa if she's reading this. I've never asked her how she pronounces her last name. Is it? Deitcher, Deitcher, I've worked closely with Melissa for years. I'm terrible for not knowing that. But anyways, um, 
the, that that quote was much less committal to proceeding on that abortion amendment than I expected. And like I said, maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe I'm overanalyzing her response, but but it was something to the effect, Caleb, of our members will talk to voters on the trail this week and we'll see what they have to say about this versus what I kind of expected was, hey, we're going to we're going to come back and we're going to pass this next year. I thought that was just interesting. Am I overthinking it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not totally uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, how to how to read that. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the general co- consensus is that they are going to pass it again. Um, you know, you might think, why would they pass it once without, you know, having the intention to pass it a second time? Um, I mean, I think there's a little bit of, um, you know, calculus involved. Maybe you don't want to send this to a vote if you expect it to get a such a, you know, high victory against it, um, like in Kansas. And then, you know, there's also the um, issues in the courts with uh, Governor Reynolds hoping to get the uh, court to reconsider again. It's kind of... Um, decision that there are undue burden protections against uh, abortion, even if there isn't a fundamental right in the constitution um, of the state. So, you know, if, if, you know, by the time January comes around, this, the court has, you know, taken away all abortion protections in the state, maybe it's, maybe it's moot. Maybe they just go ahead with, with a six week ban or a total ban or something like that. Yeah. Uh, just interesting stuff. Um, Todd, I, if, ever, so I saw a couple headlines at, after the Kansas vote that, you know, use words like shocking and surprising or upset or whatever. Uh, if we're if we're being totally honest about this, the, to me, the Kansas result should not come as any great shock. Um, public opinion poll after public opinion poll over the years, and not just now, not just this year, not just recently after the Supreme Court decision, but over the years, polls have showed that a solid majority of Americans believe access to abortion should be legal in some or more most cases. That the, the the poll, the Kansas vote essentially lines up with polls that we've been seeing forever, doesn't it? So while, while that vote set the headlines ablaze this week, it feels to me that we really shouldn't be surprised, should we? Well, no, not necessarily. Uh, I mean, it is a it is a vote in August, so you, sometimes those elections in the summer can be a little bit unpredictable if you don't get your your people out. Uh, I thought the, the the one thing that I thought was the most remarkable was the uh, the surge in new voter registrations that occurred in Kansas after after the Dobbs ruling that threw out Roe versus Wade. And 70% of those new voter registrations were women, and half of the women who registered were under the age of 25. So basically, this is, a, this is an issue that is clearly resonating with women and young women especially. And they turned out in numbers that I, you know, I saw the word kicked around unprecedented in Kansas. Uh, you might remember from the Iowa poll, uh, the governor's approval rating, she's underwater with both women and young women younger than 35. So that's going to be something that they'll probably be paying attention to. And I think the other impact that it will have in Iowa is I think you're going to see Republicans really try to de-emphasize the issue. And that may be what's behind the sort of uh, tepid response from the House Republicans is that they just, they don't really want to talk about this right now because they know a majority of people aren't with them. And the more they talk about it, the more it's just going to motivate voters who care about this issue to, to vote for Democrats. So uh, it, it'll be interesting going forward. I think it's it's lit a fire under under Democrats in Iowa and, and they sort of needed a, you know, something to 
energize them a little bit. They seem a little demoralized. So uh, from a, you know, I'm no, I'm no psychologist, but I'll diagnose it anyway, because that's what people do now. Uh, I think they're, you know, they're a little demoralized. And I think this maybe gives them a, a ray of hope. So we'll see. But it, I think a lot of the headlines that we're talking about shocking were probably in newspapers where people assume that Kansas is just a big red box with right. hardly any Democrats. And that's, you know, not the case. I was just going to jump in here. I think the, the thing that was interesting for me about the, the Kansas vote is I think it really gives um, Iowa Democrats um, kind of a good uh, blueprint for um, how to frame and message this issue um, going forward if um, the legislature were um, to pass that um that measure calling for a, a constitutional amendment this year or, or next year. Um, you know, I thought it was really interesting. Again, the messaging that we saw in Kansas framing this as, um, you know, not necessarily about abortion, but um, about taking away your rights and kind of framing it as um, this is kind of like another government mandate. Um, Caleb, I don't know if you have any kind of insights on that or if, um, if, uh, if, if Jennifer Confer's talked about that at all. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a um, really important point. Uh, you know, if you, the messaging in Kansas around this issue was really, it was if the the um, it was very nonpartisan. It was very much, you know, this is a vote about your rights. About it's a vote about um, you know uh, bodily autonomy. And you know, you saw some ads. Uh, the first of all, the the one of the biggest groups against the amendment was called uh, Kansans for Constitutional Freedom. Which you know, if you if you hear that name, that you know, that sounds like something that might be more aligned with the Republican goals, but, you know, you, it's a, it's a messaging, it's a spinning, you know, campaign, but, uh, and I think that's an interesting tactic, you know, so, uh, and, and I think that point too goes along with, uh, how, what this means for, um, the midterms, which people talked about it. And as Todd mentioned, you know, uh, Republicans are not going to be talking about this much. Um, and, and I think it's interesting to see, you know, if, how many people are willing to vote, Republican, even if they support abortion rights, right? I mean, I think if this were the Kansas governor's race in three months is going to be a lot closer than this, even though, you know, they, they have uh, similar or the, you know, split among the issues is going to be different. Um, so, you know, and, and in the Iowa poll uh, that I mentioned in the story, you know, we saw 60, 34 or 60 in su support of abortion rights, 34% against, but 24% uh, of those people who are supportive of abortion rights said they would vote for Kim Reynolds in, in the election. So it's when it comes to an issue basis, it doesn't always translate to uh, the, the uh, candidate ballots. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in a general election, like, like the, the, that's why it's, and that's such a good point because it's important to distinct, you know, a vote on a specific ballot measure, a narrowly specific issue versus voting for a candidate. Right. Well, it's interesting, you know, the, the ballot language in, uh, Kansas is somewhat similar to the ballot language that they're working on in Iowa for 2024. Um, and, you know, it, it's sort of like Republicans here, they're sort of trying to hide the intent. You know, there was a lot of during debate, there was a lot of talk. Well, no, this amendment doesn't ban abortion. This, uh, this just says it's not a fundamental right, which you know what that opens the door to then legislative action. And the same was in Kansas. Now you're hearing Republicans in Kansas say, well, the ballot language was so confusing. That's why people didn't understand how to vote. So, <laughs> I mean, if you, if you want to do something, I guess you better make it clear instead of trying to play games. 
Yeah, well, and and to that point, it's too late in Iowa to do that unless they want to start the process all over because you have to pass the same thing that you passed in the previous General Assembly. So so they're in it with this language in, in, in Iowa now, um, like I said, unless they think it's bad language, but then they got to start the process entirely over, and that punts it now to, to 2026 at the earliest. Um, obviously, a lot still to come on this, but the, but a huge story in, uh, out of Kansas this week and some ramifications that we'll be following. Um, moving on, there was some high drama this week on the national political scene where national Democrats faced a crucial fourth down in inches. It was time to make the decision, time to put their brilliant new game plan on display, and they punted. It's football season, folks. I wanted to go for the metaphor. We actually had football last night. Did you see that? The Hall of Fame game? They're throwing the pigskin around again. It's the best time of year. <laughs> Democrats had planned to announce their new slate of early voting states on their presidential nominating calendar, likely delivering a dose of bad news to Iowa's first in the nation for now Democratic caucuses. But instead, the National Democrats announced only that they're delaying that decision until after November's midterm elections. Tom, you've been uh, following this story. Um, read, the, read the tea leaves for us on this decision. Is this merely, as I said at the top of the show, a stay of execution for Iowa Democrats first in the nation status? Or, or does this keep some sliver of hope alive for at least the next three months? Uh, well, so if you if you talk to Iowa Democrats or, or if you were listening to um, Iowa Democratic Party Chairman Ross Wilburn um, during their media avail yesterday, um, you know, they'll tell you that um, they remain hopeful and, and they still see a, a sliver of hope. And and, um, you know, uh, Chairman Wilburn and um, Scott Brennan. Um, Des Moines attorney who's on the the DNC rules and bylaws committee, you know, keep saying that um, no decision has been made and that, um, you know, if you think you know what's what's going to happen, they keep saying that nobody knows what's going to happen. You know, it's not a a foregone conclusion. Um, But, you know, if you talk to other Iowa Democrats uh, in private, um, there's a lot of doubt there. Um, And, you know, just based on listening to the comments from rules and bylaws um, committee members um, during their, their meetings, um, both during and after um, listening to the pitches from the different states um, who are vying to be in that, that early nominating window. And, you know, the commentary on the cases being made by, by different states. Um, yeah, it's, um, I think it's a stay, a stay of execution. I think it's widely expected that, um, Iowa's reign, unfortunately, will come to an end in, in 2024. Um, and, um, you know, the, um, the, the rumblings, you know, the rumors in the wind is that um, New Hampshire, uh, the Granite State, did not make the first in the nation primary. Um, and that's why the DNC postponed announcing making a decision on the primary calendar until um, after the midterms um, because they didn't want uh, that announcement that, you know, New Hampshire was no longer um, going to be in that early primary window. They didn't want that to endanger um, Democratic U.S. Senator Maggie Hassan's uh, reelection chances. Um, and so, 
you know, if those if those rumors are true and, um, you know, if the, the Granite State is out, I don't know that that uh, really bodes well for Iowa. Yeah. Uh, Todd, similar question to you, uh, maybe a phrase that just come at it from a slightly different angle is one of the only reasons, one of the few reasons I should say that Iowa stayed first for so long is just simply inertia that Iowa's always been a target, but nobody could ever come up with a plan that they liked better. Um, so is this a delay a sign that maybe inertia is once again working in Iowa's favor? Is, is there a, is there a delay because Democrats don't have, um, a, a, you know, a, a slate that they feel good about, uh, to replace the current calendar or, or, uh, as Tom alluded to is, is, is the delay just a political calculation for the midterms and the, the, the fix is in, and this is just delaying the announcement. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the that last one is probably the most likely. I don't, I don't think that this helps Iowa necessarily. I mean, they've come after Iowa before, but this time, you know, Iowa's now a red state. Uh, we had the debacle in 2020. Uh, Joe Biden finished fourth here. I mean, we didn't pick, we didn't pick a winner. Or I mean, you know, he he didn't even get one of the three tickets out of Iowa for God's sakes. So. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, from the very beginning, I wondered about the timing of this process, you know, because you look down the line, it's like you have the these pitches, and then there was supposed to be a meeting this month of the rules and bylaws, and then they were going to send it to, you know, the DNC, or the Democratic Central Committee. And, you know, right as your state Democratic parties are in the, are in the home stretch of trying to hold off a a red wave in November, you, you kick a bunch of them in the shins and tell them that they, they can't be part of the part of the primary early primary process, which is going to cause some anger and consternation and maybe throw them off their stride. So this is probably the right call and probably should have been the call from the beginning. I'm not, I'm not sure why they didn't think about that. Yeah. Uh, that's a great point. Um, does that mean Todd about Biden's finish here? Does Jason Noble have to go back and change his the name of his podcast to Four Tickets? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, he'll have to change it to No Tickets, maybe the way it's well, the way it's that's going. True. That's true. <laughs> uh, Sold out, I guess, would be <laughs> maybe maybe a good name. Uh, um, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, um, what cycle? I think that was the 16 cycle he unveiled that for, wasn't it, Todd? Jason Noble, formerly yeah. at Des Moines Register, yeah, did a, just a fantastic podcast series on the history of the Iowa caucuses. So, so maybe as you uh, in these next few months, if you haven't listened to Jason's podcast and you want to um, listen longingly to what may be a <laughs> an extinct dinosaur soon, at least on one side of the political aisle here. Uh, check out his podcast. It's really, it's really well done. It's it, I'm pretty sure it's still out there on all the uh, podcast services. So it, it's worth your time. If you had never yeah, it's, of that. The archaeology is going to be interesting when the caucuses go, you know, they'll come and they'll, they'll dig a hole and dust some stuff off and say, what is a Buddha edge? What is that? <laughs> is it some sort of, some sort of hieroglyphics? What's, what's realignment? What is that? What's why, why do they keep talking about 15%? Ooh, why is there a coin here? <laughs> for a coin flip maybe <laughs> oh goodness all right finally this week um on a much more serious note so let me make this pivot uh u.s senator Joni ernst had an interesting series of votes 
on the PACT Act, which, uh, as we talked about at the top, um, expands health care for veterans whose health has been adversely impacted by burn pits while, while serving overseas. And by the way, we kind of gloss over this kind of assuming um, that you, uh, the listener, um, know the full backstory on this because it would take a full podcast to explain it otherwise. But if you're not familiar with this burn pit story, check it out. Um, it's received a lot of coverage over the years, but especially lately because of this bill. And it, and it really is an amazing story and an unfortunate story it's 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 kind of unbelievable that nobody thought maybe we should not have our soldiers working near these toxic fires overseas um so so if you're not read up on it i I wholly encourage you to to check out um uh, the backstory on all this uh but anyway tom so we've got this bill that expands health care for veterans hurt by this which again is just another amazing aspect of the story that we even had to to have a bill to do this. Um, a while back when it was first introduced, Senator Ernst voted for the bill. Then last week she voted against it. And then at the end of the day on final passage, she voted for it again. Why the multiple changes of heart along the way there? Yeah. So as you mentioned, facing increasing pressure from Democrats and veterans advocacy organizations, the Senate passed the bill late Tuesday, um, expanding health care and disability benefits for millions of veterans who are exposed to these um, toxic burn pits, as well as um, veterans expa- exposed to uh, Agent Orange during the um, Vietnam uh, War era. Um so the Senate passed the measure 86 to 11 with um, both Iowa Republican senators, Joni Ernst and Chuck Grassley, voting in favor. Ernst, a combat veteran, um, had previously objected with some other Republicans to um, a budget provision in the bill, which briefly blocked its passage. Um, so uh, just kind of the backstory, the legislation first passed the Senate in June, um, and um, it also passed the hell the House, excuse me, um, overwhelmingly um, with both uh, Joni Ernst and Chuck Grassley voting in favor. But technical corrections sent the measure back to the Senate for another procedural vote on July 27th, and 25 Republicans who supported the previous version of the bill, including Ernst change their vote over how the government accounts for spending slated for veterans programs. When the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office scored the bill, it projected that nearly $400 billion slated to be spent on health services would move from discretionary to mandatory spending. Congress sets a cap on total discretionary spending, and some Senate Republicans, including uh, uh, Ernst, argued that shifting the accounting for that money from discretionary to mandatory spending would create a hole uh, under the cap and that Congress could fill that hole on spending for who knows what. Those dynamics, however, also applied to the bill when Senate Republicans had overwhelmingly approved the measure in June. Uh, Ernst, though, blamed Democrats for not allowing the chance to offer amendments to, in her words, strengthen the bill and uh, sided with Pennsylvania Republican U.S. Senator Pat Toomey, who sought a vote on an amendment that uh, he said would not reduce spending on veterans, but would limit the ability of Congress to increase spending on unrelated non-defense programs down the road. Um, Senator Ernst's office said that when the bill came back before the Senate, 
um, uh, or excuse me, uh, when when the bill came before the Senate in June, um, you know, Republicans were told by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in New York that due to timing and the urgent need to pass the legislation, there would not be an opportunity to amend the bill. But as I mentioned, the bill had to be amended to fix some technical corrections, and it got sent back to the Senate for a do-over. And this time, uh, Joni Ernst and Senate Republicans used that opportunity, believing there was still something to debate and for, for consideration of an amendment um, that they argued um, would, um, excuse me, um, would, would um, make sure that there weren't um, significant costs in the long run, you know, without sacrificing a dollar for, for veterans. Um, so that amendment, which Ernst supported, kept the roughly $400 billion in spending in the discretionary budget. Um, Schumer struck a deal on Tuesday with Republicans to let the Senate vote on the Toomey Amendment, as well as um, a couple others, um, with 60 votes needed for passage, the same number that was needed to advance the bill itself. And then after voting for the Toomey Amendment, which failed, Ernst voted with Grassley and others to, uh, to pass the PACT Act. Wow, I felt like that was extremely convoluted. It's a complicated series of events, so it's it's hard to hard to explain succinctly. If 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 you were able to follow me on that, um, bravo to you for for hanging in there. I, and stuff I was. I I've got it. I know more now than I did before. So yeah, and 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 so and so here's the bottom line. Because but you, you guys are right. It's just it's just one of those dense topics. You have you have to get all that in there. Just describing it at the at the to begin with is is tough to do in a in a in a short sentence, but the bottom line, Tom, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that throughout all that legislative movement and votes and horse trading, etc., the bill didn't change, right? Like the, the 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 amendments that were brought up and voted on were defeated, right? Right. So yes, I mean, materially, substantially, the bill did not change. Um, and, and, and so, um, the, the argument from Senator Ernst's office is, you know, look, when she voted to pass this in June, when it first came to the Senate, um, you know, um, Senate Democrats and, uh, the Senate majority leader, Chuck Schumer, um, were talking, talked about how, um, you know, there was this sense of urgency um, to, to, to pass the legislation, to, to get it done. There wasn't going to be uh, an opportunity um, for, for any amendments. Um, and because they supported the overarching structure um, of the bill, and because they you know, supported veterans, they went ahead and voted to pass it. But then later it, it, it um, had to come back to the Senate for a do-over because of a, a, a technical correction, you know, something that didn't materially or substantially change the bill, you know, nothing, nothing was really added to the bill. And, and, you know, that, um, that budget provision um, that they now are objecting to, um, you know, hadn't changed. I mean, it was it was essentially, you know, for the most part, the same bill that they voted to pass in June that got sent back to them in July that now, you know, they're um, they're objecting to and raising questions over, you know, now that they have this attempt for a do over, they thought that, you know, well, OK, now is the time to, to have a debate and to try and put this amendment forward um, you know, um, veterans advocacy organizations and Democrats 
you know, question that. Um, and, and some Democrats, you know, question the motivations there for, for Republicans briefly holding, holding it up and, and suggesting that maybe the reason why they're doing it now is because, you know, just hours earlier, Senate Democrats had announced, um, you know, a, a deal or agreement um, that was struck on the Inflation Reduction Act, Senate Democrats' proposal um, related to um, addressing climate change and inflation and, and things along that nature. And, and so Democrats kind of argue that, well, maybe this is kind of, um, you know, retribution for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Todd, uh, what was interesting, too, about this, we talk about Senator Ernst votes. Um, Senator Grassley um, voted for it all the way through. He did not cast that no vote at, at that one stage that Senator Ernst did. He continued to vote yes all the way through this. Um, separately, and because I'm not cynical at all, Todd, um, completely unrelated, Senator Grassley is facing re-election this fall. Those two things are completely unrelated, correct? Well, <clears throat> Grassley's been around a while, as we've heard many times during this election cycle. Uh, <laughs> he probably he probably saw, probably figured out that, you know, taking a vicious public relations beating for several days for voting against something that you're ultimately going to vote for anyway isn't probably smart politics, and he maybe decided that was that was not his cup of tea. So I, 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 this, as this happened, I just, I still can't believe they, they blocked the bill. For, I mean, it, it just, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I guess you get inside the dome for so long. You, you think sort of the, these little internal fights over offering amendments and all this stuff are important, but I mean, just the optics of it were horrible and it, there was no reason that they had to do it. Yeah, it was a like I said at the top. It was a very interesting series of of votes, and as Tom lamented, but but again, there's no way to tell this story without getting deep into the legislative. We yeah. that. So um, if you're still on the podcast right now, we appreciate you sticking <laughs> with us through all that. Uh, but it, it was it was at the end of the day interesting. Um, and now now, now let me tell you. Uh, that about that time that the house the Iowa House turned a raccoon bill into a dove hunting bill. That's, <laughs> you, got, you got another you got That's another 20, 20 minutes. <laughs> that thing lives on. The, it's it's like an annual tradition up inside the Capitol during the session that the dove hunting bill gets brought up and like as in a, oh are we going to have another dove hunting bill? Fantastic! <laughs> I love it. That one and the other one is the. Uh, the time that uh, Speaker Pat Murphy left the voting machine open through the weekend. Oh. <laughs> the yeah. That's the other one. <laughs> yeah. But what sometimes the, what, sometimes what? futility kind of works itself out because there used to be an annual debate to pass a bill that said if you had your headlights on or if you if it's raining and you had your windshield wipers on, you had to have your headlights on. And they debated that so many times that I'm convinced that most Iowans believe that's the law. Because it was, it was, it was it killed every time. So introduced yeah. so much, and we everyone wrote about it because it's like, whoa, people drive cars, you know. And so, <laughs> I, yeah. Oh man. Maybe, and they may not believe the bottle bill change because we kept telling them it was gonna. That was yeah, going right. Away, so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Goodness. All right. 
well, we better, we better wrap it up now before we start another deep uh, legislative debate. <laughs> so we'll we'll save those for another podcast. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Todd. No, no. I was just going to say, now we'll taking us out as Alice's Restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a 20-minute song. <laughs> yeah, November rain. Hey, Jude. <laughs> That's it for this week's podcast. If you enjoyed it, uh, tell your friends. Subscribe to us on any number of streaming audio services, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. And if you have any suggestions for topics, whether heavy into the legislative weeds or not, that you want us to discuss or you just want to reach out, you can email us at podcasts at thegazette.com. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll get all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that On Iowa Politics newsletter at thegazette.com. And don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Sound Thought will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom, Caleb, Todd, and our producer Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening. I cannot recognize the places I adore. The telephone will pierce the silence of the night. Put on a blindfold and then I proceed to drive. Can't stand to answer, so I laid upon the grass. Heard screams of sorrow to
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.